Welcome to the Badass Breastfeeding Podcast. This is Diane, your lactation consultant. And I'm Abby, the badass breastfeeder, and I started talking and I didn't have my papers ready. So <laughs> I'm just going to keep blabbing and then I'm just going to go straight into it. Today's episode is brought to you by Cake Maternity. Cake Maternity stocks one of the largest ranges of maternity and nursing bras. And today's episode is also brought to you by Fairhaven Health. Milky's Nipple Nurture Balm is your organic and lanolin-free answer to sore or cracked nipples. And um, you can hear more about our, we'll talk more about our sponsors later, but you can head to badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com um, and you can uh, look at our sponsor page. We have all of our sponsors there. And if you can give them any of your business, if you need anything, that would be awesome because they make this podcast possible. And while you're there, scroll down and enter your email address and you'll get episodes sent straight to your inbox every week. And I just want to say one more thing that we had, um, I don't remember when it was right off the top of my head, but we had Shamisha the Nurse Milk. She's the Nurse Milk on um, Instagram, which I hope everybody is following. But she, when she was a guest on our podcast, she said that she wanted to open a uh, birthing center for Black, Indigenous, and people of color. And she is on her way to doing that. She has started a nonprofit. It's called Her Story, Inc., dot org um, is where you can find it. And um, they're um, inviting uh, birthing families in Orange County. And they've created a team of herself, a doula, uh, a midwife, a pediatric nurse, a social worker, and a therapist. And this is a safe place for Black, Indigenous people of color in Orange County. And of course, they're looking for donations. And um, you can, we'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but check out the nurse milk on Instagram and follow their plans and donate if you can. I know there's a, so many things to donate to right now, but if that's one of your passions, um, they are looking for donations to create that space. And I will link the episode we did with her in the show notes. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, you no, know, so you could hear more about her if this is the first time you've ever heard of her. So, yeah, awesome. it was a really great episode. Yeah, for sure. All right. And now Diane has our review of the week. We're going to do a little bit different for our review of the week. Um, Abby received an email. Email, right? Came to well, via it email. An, it was on Instagram, but. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it came via Instagram. You got an came, email. Yeah, it came to email. From me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was from a listener. And she was talking about, um, talking to Abby, telling her story about low milk. And we wanted to read this and then talk about different aspects of low milk because we, I know we've done episodes in the past, um, not too long ago either about low milk. And we talk about like how to know it's not low milk supply and when it's not low milk supply and lo, you know, low milk supply myths and stuff like that. But what if it really is low milk, right? We never really covered like, what if it really is low milk? What do we do? What do we do then? What are our choices? What are our options? How do we... How do we take care of this? Yeah. And we're not just dealing with low milk when we have some sort of condition in our body that won't allow us to make enough milk. Like if you, if your period come back, comes back, mm -hmm. if you are, you know, supplementing and you're struggling to have your, you know, like I, this is my story it was, was supplementing. And then, you know, I wasn't building a milk supply. Like, well, we can talk about the primary and secondary, um, low milk supply after we read the email, but it's really interesting. It's like, just because you don't have a condition, you know, that prevents you from making enough milk, 
which that is a situation too that we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. But you're also, if you're dealing with low milk supply, you're dealing with low milk supply. Like, yeah. And then what do you do to deal with that? Because um, it does happen, even if it's short term or long term or anything. So I am going to read. This kind of goes a little bit back and forth. So I get to be the breastfeeding parent. I'm going to read her part, and Abby is going to read her own part. And so, yeah, well, just, you're going to hear the conversation that happened between me and Amanda. Yeah. So this is the conversation. Um, I wasn't sure if I could use her name, but her name is Amanda. I so, asked permission. So she, oh, you did ask permission. Okay. Mm-hmm. We don't just like willy nilly go out there and terrorize no. people. So okay. So I'm going to read this. My baby was born in May last year, and I've struggled with my supply since day one. Due to a birth injury that needed surgery, I was not able to feed him until seven hours after he was born. He had my frozen colostrum in the meantime, and I have always wondered if this impacted by supply. By day three, he had lost 11% of his birth weight despite top-ups of hand expression colostrum. I was advised that he was close to being readmitted to the hospital and that if I couldn't pump 30 milliliters per feed to top him up, we should do formula top-ups until he was until I was able to make more milk. By the way, I have so much to say about this. <laughs> I pumped and nursed around the clock, pumping after every single feed and between feeds if he was having a long sleep, for example, and my supply improved. But even when I was on a high dose of domperidone, I was not able to produce more than 30 milliliters an hour at the absolute most. This might've been okay for some babies, but he was born at 4.05 kilograms and it was not enough for him to gain weight. He dropped from the 90th percentile to the 32nd percentile at one point. We continued triple feeding for months. At one point, my supply seemed a bit better and he wasn't interested in top-ups, so I began exclusively breastfeeding and dropped the top-ups. This was under the supervision of an IBCLC. He was about three months old at this point and I exclusively breastfed for a month. At the end of the month, he had lost 100 grams, so I knew it was not sustainable. He is now eight months old and I'm still breastfeeding. He is, of course, on solids too, but still needs about 150 milliliters of formula a day to gain enough weight to not drop percentiles. It was an absolutely awful experience and I felt incredibly gaslit the entire way. I think there is such a focus on the fact that most women don't suffer with an undersupply and so addressing supply myths, et cetera, that nobody stops to think about the women that genuinely do not make enough for their babies. I was told so, so many times to just keep nursing, but my baby was starving. It was like everyone telling me that if I just tried harder, it would work, but that's like telling a woman struggling with infertility to just keep trying and she'll conceive or a blind woman to just keep looking and she'll see. Our bodies don't all work the same. I know that I've been extremely lucky to have been able to breastfeed for as long as I have, as most women with low supply have less milk than me and it's not sustainable. My baby likely would have survived on my milk alone, but he certainly would not be thriving. I can't imagine how devastating it is for women who only ever get drops and nothing substantial, and then to be told, just keep trying, try eating oats, etc. It's enough to drive a person insane. I felt a lot better when I found at Low Milk Supply Mom on Instagram and realized I wasn't alone. I definitely encourage you to make an episode on it. I feel so alone at the beginning and feeling seen and having people acknowledge what I was experiencing was real instead of trying to tell me I should just try harder would really have helped. My questions would be about primary versus secondary low supply, what blood tests to ask for if you're struggling with supply, what kind of milk production is normal, is my issue that my baby was big or would my supply not have been enough for a tiny baby either, 
And if anything can be done in the future pregnancies or postpartum to set myself up for a better experience, I know how important breastfeeding soon after birth is, but I didn't have much choice in the matter. So it would be interesting to know what role that could have played. Thank you so much for all the detail. That is extremely frustrating to be told to keep trying when you are certainly trying as hard as you can. This helps so much to do an episode and we will get working on it. You're right. The focus is usually on milk supply myths and we need to provide information for when milk supply is truly low. And I'm in a situation like yours, but also when your period returns, nursing strikes, sickness, and supply drops, those short-term situations and long-term situations like yours. I can't thank you enough. I enjoyed the vent. Thank you for hearing me. I absolutely would be more than okay with that. Would love to think another mother going through what I went through might hear it and feel less alone. Thank you so much for seeing me and not assuming I just didn't try hard enough or didn't know what I was doing. I think everyone had good intentions, but it's probably because so many women worry about their supply. The nurses, et cetera, are used to reassuring people that they have enough milk. So they were just doing what they usually do, but failing to see that for me, it wasn't the case. And so I felt like I was not being believed or being gassed. Just not what you need as a fresh new mom. Taught me a ton of resilience, though, so at least there's that. Yes, it's true. That's why we always talk about this, because everyone from doctors to family members are always telling people they don't make enough. And when we talk about how it's a small percentage, but even if it is, then what about those people? They need support and information, too. Exactly. It's such a hard balance, but so important not to leave that small percentage behind in trying to support the masses. Also tricky because it's hard to define what constitutes low supply. Some people would even argue that I didn't have low supply, but the lower end of normal, but my baby's consistent waste loss told a very different story. The end. The end. So where should we start? Oh my God. Well, let's start with like defining low milk supply. Okay. So. Low milk supply, obviously, we're like, okay, low milk supply is if you don't have enough milk for your baby, right? And we've talked to death in other episodes about like, okay, if you aren't pumping a lot, that doesn't mean you have low milk supply. Like that is not a good indication of low milk supply. But there are things called secondary and primary low milk. And primary low milk, that is a situation where it's like defined as caused by the mother or the baby. I don't even like the way that's defined, but yeah. caused by the, lo- the by the mother or the baby. So that would be like hormonal issues, breast surgery, um, PCOS, things that, you know, maybe the baby isn't, you know, there's something f- physically with the baby there, the baby, you know, something going on with the baby that the baby isn't, you know, can't nurse well. The first thing that popped into my head would be like a down syndrome situation. Sometimes um, those babies don't have the muscle tone that they need to really be effective feeders. So things like that, that we really can't help. It's just kind mm-hmm. of there. Like we just, it, but it needs to be identified, right? We need to know, okay, insufficient glandular tissue, things like that. And that's what we, when we say, low milk supply is is a small percentage. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about that primary milk supply because it is not that common to find somebody who truly physiologically cannot make enough milk. That is not as common. But secondary low milk, that is when, when that is caused by something that we're doing. So like timed feedings or... 
sleep training or um, I wrote down a bunch of like unnecessary supplementation, Mm -hmm. um, things like that that cause a low milk supply. That is like a secondary low milk. And that is something that we can fix, right? Like we can come back from that most of the time, depending on how long it's been and, you know, what's what's going on with the situation. Yeah. And those situations are really common because we live in a society that promotes all of those things that cause that. Absolutely. Right? Like we like people having to go back to work and primarily relying on pumping or, you know, sleep training and all of those things that that people are told to do. And then it leads to issues with feeding. And then it's just like a terrible cycle that society did to us. Right. And and it's an educational thing. Um, Yes. And then the lack of like, yeah, lack of lactation information and lactation consultants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All of that. Um, Really, really difficult, really difficult to kind of overcome. And then there are, there's something that we also call the perceived low milk. And I want to say, cause I was, you know, doing some reading and stuff last night and I was getting all fired up and I was like texting Ambi about it, but the perceived low milk, that is a lot of times what we say, oh, it's a perceived low milk supply because there's really not low milk, but it's those, a lot of parents that are like, oh my gosh, I'm afraid I have low milk supply because my baby's fussy or because right. I'm not pumping enough. And where I don't ever want any parent if to feel like we are not hearing them. You know, like and when I was reading this, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't think I've ever said to a mom, you have perceived low milk supply. Like I don't think I've ever said that to anybody because that's not something you would say. <laughs> right. It's so mean. But I don't ever like when I when I thought about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, like these parents are have a very genuine concern for their milk supply. Yes. And we're listing it as perceived. So basically what we're saying is like, you're insane. Your right. milk is fine. Like nobody wants to hear that. Like you're not living in reality. Right. And that is a true fear that is being given to these parents because of what society is doing around us when it comes to milk supply. Like when everybody around them is saying, oh, your baby's fussy. Are you sure you're making enough milk? Oh, your baby's eating again. Are you sure you're making enough milk? Of course that parent is going to be like, am I making enough milk? Even when she is. So perceived milk supply is really like, that can be just just as hard to deal with. Well, and isn't this the number one reason people quit breastfeeding? Is because they felt like they didn't have, they felt like they weren't making enough milk. Right. And I mean, so if that's the majority of the reason why people are stopping, can't we need to all stop and agree that that's not the majority that can't, that's not always happening. You know, there's something fishy here. There's something wrong. Right. Like we're not knowing enough about breastfeeding that we're not providing enough support to people. Right. So perceived milk supply, you're just going crazy, uh, you know, just stop thinking about that. Well, that's not the answer. Oh, that's no. not the answer. No, absolutely not. That is not, especially for a parent, a new parent that's struggling with anxiety, that's struggling with um, postpartum mood disorders. That is not to say to them, your milk supply is fine and like move on and let's talk about something else. Like that is not enough. It's not. Um. So yeah, so there's a lot of facets to this. and. After, maybe we'll do our break real quick and then we'll talk about like, if it really is low milk, like, how do we know? Like, like she mentioned in the email, what blood tests do you request? Mm -hmm. Um, I have a ton I would love to say about, I mean, there's a lot of questions that I have about the birth process and how they treated her in the hospital because Mm -hmm. 
there's a lot there. Um, yeah. There's a lot there too that fed into this whole thing. And I think that she probably was led on a path that. Yeah. It kind seems of led like her a down similar, this road. Yeah. yeah. It seems like a similar situation that I went through. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is very, very common in hospitals because again, they have so much incentive to push formula onto people. Yeah. And it's, and it's just like, it's just become the norm, you know, it's like, well, we'll just do little top ups. Just, you know, just, it's just, it's like, it's like, it's just normal. Yeah. I had somebody the other day that, that told me that they were topping up with formula. That's what they were, you know, told to do in the hospital until the milk came in. And I'm like, okay, how much are you giving? Well, they gave us those two ounce bottles. So that's what we're giving. Oh my God. And the baby's like four days old. Oh my God. And I'm like, that's, that's kind of a lot. That's not a top up. You know, that's a whole feeding. That's a whole tank. They're not going to, they're the not going right to feed there. well. Yeah. So. Then they're not going to breastfeed well. So now we're, we're on this path and, oh, like it gets me there. Yeah. All right. I so know, we'll do that's very break. frustrating. <laughs> we'll do our break. And then there's another little hospital thing I'd like to mention. And then that's, okay. yeah. Okay, go ahead. And then we'll talk about what to do. Yes, and we'll talk about what to how do. Dealing, how to deal with low milk supply. Okay, we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Cake Maternity. Cake Maternity is a nursing bra specialist, passionate about breastfeeding and the many benefits it offers for parents and baby and the environment. Breastfeeding, while natural, doesn't always come naturally to everyone. That's why they made it their mission to empower breastfeeders as they mindfully navigate the world of parenthood and help make breastfeeding easier through experience-driven innovation. Cake Maternity stocks one of the largest ranges of maternity and nursing bras, which includes seamless, sleep, flexible wired, non-wired, sports padded plunge t-shirt, and fuller busted bras in sizes ranging from 30A to 42K. With 13 years of experience under their belt, Cake Maternity is renowned for their quality, fit, and support. Cake has you covered for your in maternity and nursing bra needs. Head to cakematernity.com and use code BADASS15 for 15% off of your purchase. And today's episode is also brought to you by Fairhaven Health. If you're struggling with sore nipples, you need pain relief fast. And when sore nipples turn to crack nipples, forget about it. It's enough to want to call it quits. Damaged nipples can cause real problems with successfully breastfeeding your baby. Check with a lactation consultant that your baby is getting a good latch and get some Milky's Nipple Nurture Balm. Nipple Nurture Balm is formulated to soothe, protect, and heal sore or cracked nipples. This nipple balm is made with organic herbal ingredients and combined with natural moisturizers to help provide relief and to heal affected areas and even prevent cracks from reappearing. Nipple Nurture Balm alleviates the discomfort so the joy can be restored to your special bonding time. It is safe for both parent and baby, and there is no need to wipe it off before breastfeeding. Head to fairhavenhealth.com. And use code BADASS for 15% off of your purchase. And you will find all of our sponsors and our promo codes at badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com in our show notes under this episode. Um, and also at badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com, you'll find our breastfeeding resources, all of our other episodes, and information about scheduling your very own one-on-one online lactation consultation with Diane, where she can help you decide if you have low milk supply. Absolutely. So, so first and foremost, you know, we were talking about the hospital piece and, um, I had a situation, 
I don't know, in the last couple of weeks, where I saw two separate families that had their baby in this one particular hospital, both very different situations. One was vaginal, one was C-section, one was second time parent, one was first time parent. Both parents were told that if their baby lost 5% of their birth weight, they would have to start supplementing. 5% is like nothing. Like that's that's like their amniotic fluid that they're spitting up after they're born. Like f- yeah. 5% is nothing. Like that is that is common, expected. If I see a baby that doesn't lose 5%, I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is an anomaly because they almost all do lose more than 5%. So I was like, what? That is insane. And this, like the first time parent, you know, obviously they were like, you know, freaked out and trying to supplement and doing all this stuff. But the second time parent, she was even more so. She already had some anxiety issues, um, but she came out like she knew she had a very healthy, strong breastfeeding relationship with her first baby. So she's like, oh my God. And then they told her, now you're probably not gonna be able to come back from this. So she was completely freaked out that mm-hmm. some that this was not going to work for her. And I'm like, this is, cr-. and everything was fine. Like everything worked out fine. And, you know, baby ended up regaining fine and there's no issues. But I went to a, one of the doctors that I know that I'm friends with that actually delivers babies at this hospital. And I told him about this. He's super like very, very extreme breastfeeding supportive. Like he's over the top. And I told him about this and he was like, that is absolutely not a policy or protocol there. Cause I was like, did something change? Like did, did, did they change protocol and this is now the new normal? Like, is that what happened? Because I, I needed to know that because that's a really important piece. Cause now everybody's going to be supplementing if that's really the case. And he yeah. was like, no, that is not, that is not the rule. Like, I don't know who's doing that or why they're doing that, but that is not a policy or a protocol at that hospital. And this is why parents need education from the beginning so they can push back at this. I mean, that's exactly what he said. He's like, parents need to be educated so they can push back. It is so important. And it's so frustrating that what you have to do, now you have a job. You just had a baby and now you have <laughs> right. to push back an entire push back against an entire system. I mean, it's just so ugh. right. When all you want is the best thing for your baby. Right. All you so, want is the best thing for your baby. You're around people that you trust to have the right information and you're going to do what they say because they're the professionals. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to trust them. Turns out they don't have the right information and ugh. It's very frustrating. So it is like in the email, she was saying how it's hard to determine, like, is it a real low milk supply problem or is it something that started from the beginning? And she's right. It is like from a lactation consultant standpoint, it is really hard to determine, like, is this a low milk, like a true physiological low milk supply problem? Um, her specific situation, not knowing everything that went on, because anybody that knows me knows I would ask a zillion questions about that whole situation, but not knowing everything, I would say her situation was probably a situation that could have been overcome. Um, I also do not believe that garbage of, not her garbage, the garbage I'm sure the hospital fed to her, that your baby's bigger, so you're not making enough milk for him. That is junk. 
I, I really just, I cannot get behind that. I cannot get behind anybody saying, well, your baby was over 4,000 grams. So you're, you're, he needs more milk. And I don't, and the, the other thing that they had said too in here was, um, you have to be able to pump 30 milliliters per feed to top him up or we're going to give him formula. I'm sorry. No new parent in the first two days of their, of their baby's life is pumping 30 milliliters of colostrum. That is not a thing. It's physically not, not possible to do. Your body isn't making that level of colostrum because your baby doesn't need it. Yeah. Colostrum is not made in huge, like you don't fill bottles with colostrum. No, no. You absolutely do not. So you this feel is, like tiny syringes. And this is a mom who, like, this is a parent who has prepared herself. Like, she had frozen colostrum. That is Yeah, oh amazing. my God. I know. That's, in, that's incredible. She, like, prepared herself for this. She was ready to roll. And she got into a situation where the baby went to the breast delayed. And who knows? Like, there could have been a situation where maybe the baby was not transferring milk well. And I think a lot of times we look at it as this is a, this is the breastfeeding parent's fault. They're not making enough milk when actually a lot of the time the baby is not transferring the milk well, which will mm-hmm. absolutely cause a milk supply problem. And that has to be identified. Right. But if it is a true milk supply issue, like, yes, there, or if we're wondering like, okay, the baby's transferring well, and this would be coming from like a lactation consultant situation where you've had somebody observing a feed, you know that the baby's transferring milk well. And the milk supply still isn't there and it's not increasing no matter what we do. Then we got to look in to see, okay, is there is there a physiological issue here? And there is blood tests that can be done. Thyroid tests always need to be checked. Thyroid always needs to be checked because that can go haywire at any time. And a lot of times pregnancy will throw it under the bus. So that needs to be checked because that can impact milk supply. And prolactin levels can also be checked. And if your prolactin levels are low, then that would tell us your body is not, doesn't have the hormone it needs or enough of that hormone to make the milk that it needs to make. Um, there's certain, there are little certain rules that go along with the, I shouldn't say rules, but certain things you have to do for prolactin tests. It's like they want to test it. They'll want to draw the, that blood like right after feeding. So that's when your prolactin levels are going to be high. It's like this whole like, thing. You don't just go to a place and say, okay, I want my prolactin tested. It has to be, it's a process for sure. (laughs) So you have to talk to somebody who knows what they're doing with it. And obviously I'm not that person, but I don't like draw those, those laps. So, um, but I do know that that is one that you can do to find out like, okay, is my hormone level? Okay. Like are my hormones where they need to be? Because this is a very hormonally driven process. And that's why Domperidone, like she mentioned Domperidone in here, which, um, do you know where she was from? Because it wasn't the states. I think so. she's. I think she's in the in the UK, and I'm not exactly sure where. But. Okay, because um, of course we can't get Domperidone in the United States, and well, you can get it on the black market, but I have no idea how to do. It. <laughs> like I've I've definitely <laughs> known people here who've taken it. I don't know where they've gotten it or how they've gotten it, but I know that they have. But that's why Domperidone has been known to work because it increases prolactin levels. That is mm. why that works. So. That is why we're saying, okay, we got to make sure that your prolactin levels are high um, and that they're supporting a good breastfeeding relationship. Prolactin levels are also, the hormone prolactin is also highest overnight, which is why we say that is a really important time for milk supply. That's why we say do not sleep train your baby 
early because, or really at all, but early. Because sometimes people will be doing that very early in, you know, eight weeks, 12 weeks. They start sleep training their baby because they have to return to work and, you know, they need their baby to be sleeping more. And then they wonder, well, why is my milk supply dropping? Because those prolactin levels are not being stimulated overnight. And we need that in the beginning. It's very important for a healthy milk supply in the beginning. So as much as you hate to get up and believe me, I am with you. It is really important to, to with your milk supply. And this kind of like put me in a, in kind of a headspace last night when I was thinking about it, because we know, right, as lactation consultants, breastfeeding advocates all over the place know that those frequent feeding on demand in the early days of having a newborn, that is really important to a healthy milk supply. It is really, really important to a healthy milk supply. Those overnight feeds, all of that. And then people come to us and say, but my partner really wants to feed the baby overnight. Or I just, I really, you know, I I would rather, you know, give bottles overnight, whatever the situation might be so that we can get more sleep, which I totally understand because I've been there. Mm -hmm. But when we suggest that that's probably not the best idea for your milk supply, then people look at us like we're insane. They're like, I I can't, no, that's not... like we're fanatics, you know, like we're like, no, you have to breastfeed all the time. So I just, I like to try to meet families where they're at. And if I have a family that's like, I really need to get my sleep. I'm healing from a C-section. I am not functioning well. I am, you know, feeling like I really need a, a, a stretch of sleep. Then we'll work with that. We absolutely will work with that. But from the very start to just kind of start skipping those feedings, and then come to me later on and say, well, my, my milk supply, I need help with my milk supply. Like there's a correlation there. And that's that secondary milk supply issue that we're talking about. Stuff like that, that can happen. Right. So if you have somebody who comes to you and they have one of these situations where there's timed feedings and, um, you know, uh, skipped feedings or sleep training and things like that then I'm assuming that the intervention there is education. Exactly. Yes. Education and support, you know, maybe making suggestions, um, encouraging more people to help. Yeah. Um, right. Sometimes, like if somebody's, yeah. If somebody's healing from a C-section, is there a grandma, is there a, an aunt or is there somebody who can come over who can stay, you know, maybe, maybe, I mean, and this is, this is really where we get into, you know, how again, I won't drag us down the whole road of how society broke down families. And, you know, now we're in the situation where we're doing everything on our own. But like, can, mm-hmm. who can we call? Can, I, can mom in law come over for a few days and then mom and then aunt and take some turns at night so that you can get some sleep or, you know, during the day so you can nap or something like that? Right. And that is, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll suggest even um, if they say, well, you know, my partner really wants to give a bottle. Um, so I can get some sleep. Or sometimes a partner will say to me, well, when can she start pumping so that I can feed the baby so that she can sleep some more? Yeah. And it's great that, they, that, that people want to help in that way. It is amazing. Sometimes what I will suggest instead of it being middle of the night, sometimes what I would suggest is, you know what, can we do that at maybe eight or nine o'clock, send mom to bed early, mm. you know, and that way she can get up and do that middle of the night feeding. That will be helpful to keep those prolactin levels higher and keep that milk supply high the way we need it to be. Um, I mean, that 
we just need to troubleshoot and try to think of things outside the box that are going to be helpful. And then, of course, you have, you know, we, we're not really good at asking for help or accepting no, that help no, a lot of the time. Nope. And there are partners that are going back to work after a week with a parent that, you know, had a C-section. And now you've got, you know, a, a mom with a C-section and, and how often, and I know I felt like this, even though I didn't like my ex-husband very much, but <laughs> I let him sleep and I got up with the twins. So uh. I wasn't sleeping because he had to go to work. Yep. So, and how many times do parents do that? Well, yep. he's the one that's got to go to work after a week or two. So I'm the one that's going to get up all the time. And it, it's just, it's not sustainable. But this is the kind of thing that like, once we start plugging in different pieces there, that it's going to start to to deteriorate that milk supply. Um, but if it is, if it is a, like a true physiological milk supply issue, breast surgery, Insufficient glandular tissue, thyroid problem, you know, like things that are really, um, really impacting physiology, then we might have to say, okay, this is, this is, this is it. We're making what we're making and we need to just cover up with the, with whatever else we can, whether it be donor milk or formula, but it's no reason to abandon breastfeeding completely. And right, I know we talked about that amount recently. Of, yeah. Any amount of breast milk is fantastic. Yeah. And I love that this mom in our, in our, you know, that we're talking about that we read um, her story there. She continued on with being able to breastfeed. Um, that sounded very focused on percentiles too. And we all yeah. know how I feel about percentiles, but yeah. the, it is like, it definitely is important to know, do I need, how much do I need to supplement with? How yeah. much is my baby really thriving? You know, is a baby getting milk from me? And if they are great, how much do I need to give it on top of that without overfeeding? And that's where you might include some weighed feeds or mm-hmm. support see. that. And all of this should be done with a lactation consultant that oh, yeah. is going to be helpful and supportive to you. And really can look and find out like, okay, what is going on here? Is this a problem with the baby not transferring milk well? Because that could have been what was going on with with this situation. It could have been the baby all along not transferring milk well, which doubled into a low milk supply problem for her. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things she also mentioned in here was, what do we do if, you know, for the next baby? Like, mm-hmm. and then she mentioned too, like, if it was a smaller baby, would my milk have been enough? The, the size of the baby really doesn't matter. I know there's probably people out there who don't agree with me, but that is, it doesn't usually go, oh, your baby weighed 10 pounds when they were born. You're not going to make enough milk. Like that's not the yeah. thing. So if it is somebody, and I've had a lot of situations like this where people have contacted me and they've said, I didn't have enough milk the first time around. What do I do with this next baby now that I'm mm-hmm. pregnant again? And we talk about, you know, the situations and, you know, ask the questions. One of the questions that we ask is, did you have breast changes during pregnancy? If there was breast changes during pregnancy, that is a good indication usually that we go by that tells us, okay, your body's getting ready to make milk. So that mm-hmm. is, you know, that's an important piece of it. Um, why do you think there wasn't enough milk? What was the situation that happened? And this situation with this, with this parent, you know, like I so said, we don't really have all the answers, but it is really important to remember that you make more milk with each baby. So mm-hmm. if you were mm-hmm. in a situation the first time around where you felt like you didn't have enough, you might be completely comfortable with another baby 
feeling like there is enough because your body does make more each time. So it, because you were a little bit lower the first time with the first baby, that does not mean you're going to have low milk supply the second time around. Um, we don't know the situation of the first time, why that low milk supply was happening, but she knows enough now, like she's learned so much through this journey mm-hmm. that now the next time she'll know all the questions to ask. Um, but it is, I don't ever want anybody to think like, okay, because I had low milk supply the first time, I'm going to have low milk supply the second time. Cause that's not necessarily true. That is something we need to see when we get there. And we know true, like she mentioned, oh, eat oats and stuff like that. We know that that is not yeah, an accurate right. mm-hmm. thing. Like milk removal and stimulation is what does it. So the pumping and the feeding, pumping and the feeding, but we also need to make sure is that pump working, is the pump flange size is good? Are you double pumping? Like there's a lot of things to look at here to make sure we are just taking advantage of all the options. Yeah. And um, I just want to mention a couple of things, which is the, um, I should have mentioned it before because it would have flowed better. <laughs> but <laughs> the, the, People who have like long term, you know, who are struggling with milk, milk so like long term, we've decided it's something, you know, that can't really be fixed. And so we're using donor milk or formula. You can use a supplemental nursing system, mm. which I think can be hard to use. I don't know. I've never used one. But it's like the baby can still nurse from you and they have like a tube connected to a bag. Right? Yep. Yep. And they definitely can. Um a little, yeah, they've got like a little tubing that goes to the breast and then the baby can latch onto the breast and get milk from the tube and from the mom. Um, and it can be a little overwhelming. I think if you can get yeah. it down, it's super helpful. And I've known people that have used them long term and then I've known people that are like, this is too much for me. So I think it's, yeah. it might be like even just like a mental thing of, okay, this is working. You're this is what we're going to do. with so much. Yeah. 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 I think it's just situational. But yeah, in theory, it's a fantastic concept. Okay. And so then, so we have a situation where something's going on physiologically, we can't fix it. So now we're going to, you know, maintain breastfeeding if we want with donor milk or formula. And then we have situations where there are interventions that we can try to see if we can increase that milk supply by, you know, breastfeeding more through the night and stuff like that. So what about like temporary situations, like the return of a period? Nursing strikes, baby got sick, mom got sick, Ugh. and, you know, milk supply has dropped. Mm-hmm. Yep. Return to work. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The stress of returning to work. There is, um, so with your period, we know that because of those hormonal fluctuations with ovulation and everything, that a lot of times that will drop your milk supply. And it comes back up. Everybody panics, especially the first time it happens. Everybody's like, mm-hmm. oh my God, what's happening? But a lot of times you don't even realize it's happening unless you're a pumping parent, right? Unless mm, you're yeah. like pumping. The baby will just maybe eat a little bit more frequently or something like that. The baby will make up for it. But if you're pumping and you go, oh my gosh, why all of a sudden am I getting two ounces less than I was the other day? Yeah. And that is how fast it can happen when your hormonal changes kick in. 
there is some people say, and I don't know how science backed this is. Um, I don't know too many people who have tried it, but some people say that there is a supplement, like a calcium magnesium supplement mixture that you can take that helps with that. Um, I can probably find the information and link it in the show notes, but it is just one of those things. It's like, Hey, you know, if you take this, um, you know, throughout the month, it's helpful. But really what it comes down to is you just got to really keep pumping, keep pumping, keep feeding, keep feeding, and just know that your supply rebounds after that hormonal fluctuation because it just, it does, it rebounds. Same thing when you're sick, it rebounds. Um, it usually does go down mastitis too. A lot of parents find that they have, when they have mastitis, their milk supply will will drop a little bit. It rebounds as things start to level out again. So I think the the biggest thing is not panicking with those situations um, and just kind of knowing that like, okay, it's going to rebound. We might need to work a little bit harder with pumping and feeding and really kicking in those feeds on demand, maybe adding another pump in where you normally wouldn't. Um, that's until things kind of get back on track again. If you are a pumping, if you are a, back to work and you're pumping probably more than you're breastfeeding because at that point when your baby gets to be like, you know, three, four five months, you're back to work. It all happens at the same time, but because you're back to work, you're not breastfeeding as much. You're breastfeeding maybe once or twice, you know, a day and then maybe a little bit overnight, but you're probably pumping, you know, several times a day. Um, that's when your period comes back, right? Because yeah. you're not breastfeeding as much. <laughs> God. And that's also when, you're because usually right around that three, four month mark, your body also kind of regulates again. You know, we know it regulates in the beginning as your milk supply is setting in, but then it regulates again after a couple of months. So it's like your body's just kind of settling more into this milk supply that you don't have all that extra anymore. Mm -hmm. So all of that is happening at the same time. And it can really put people into a panic. It really can. Um, sometimes we just have to really be like, okay, we just need to do more pumping. We just need to add another pump in where you normally wouldn't. Sometimes I'll, I'll tell parents, okay, let's, you know, maybe throw a pumping in on the weekend. Um, if you're a Monday through Friday working parent, and a lot of times they don't bother to pump on the weekend because who wants to if you're mm -hmm. just feeding, but we might have to just to make sure we have enough to get through the week. Um, pregnancy, there's mm. really not too much you can do about that. No. That's kind of, yeah. It just starts to decrease and really though you just can't you can't fight those hormones, that hormonal changes. So there's really not too much. And I know we've had people that contacted us and we're like, I'm pregnant again, but how do I keep breastfeeding? And it's like you really it's gonna decrease. Yeah. I mean there's, you can keep breastfeeding, but your oh, milk yeah. supply will go away. It will or or decrease greatly. Yes, it will yeah. for sure. Because it's getting ready for the new baby, and which is a good thing. And a lot of times kids Jack nursed through that. Mm -hmm. He, you know, a lot of kids will just comfort nurse, you know, through the pregnancy and then start up again. Yeah, they absolutely will. But I mean, there's a lot of tandem nursing parents out there. Totally. So people do it. Um, some babies, I, I do have one family where the mom really, really wanted to tandem nurse. And they got to the point where when she was pregnant, where her um, body changed back to colostrum and mm -hmm. the baby that she was nursing didn't like that taste. Mm -hmm. so weaned and she was like so sad about that and then she tried to put him back on when the ba new baby was born and he was like totally ptsd over the whole thing <laughs> <I'm not having> it. <laughs> he was like, so then she pumped she had this new baby she was like amazing she had this new baby and then she pumped 
for the other baby because she still wanted him to have the milk. Oh, so she was, you know, even though he wasn't latching, she still wanted him to have the milk. I, don't, so I wanted to tandem nurse so bad that I really, really wanted. I was like, I really wanted to so bad. And Jack, when my milk supply started to go down, um, he stopped nursing as much. And I was panicking. <laughs> I was panicking. Like it was irrational. I'm not irrational, but you know, I was just yeah. like, oh my God, I was freaking out. I was like, what if he weans and then I don't get the tandem nurse? I was so <laughs> upset. But he didn't. And then he continued to nurse until he was six and a half years old. <laughs> so I need get what you to be careful what you ask for. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Um, but this is, so we're kind of like, I know we bounced around to a lot of different things with this. Um, but we really do like when, when somebody says, I, I'm afraid I have low milk supply, somebody should really be, you know, looking into this for you and helping you to identify it and working with you, like to just kind of like how she said she felt gaslighted the whole time. Somebody should really be, okay, let's, let's see if that's really what's going on. Not just saying to you, go eat some oats. Yeah, and take I mean, this pill. Come on, I know people need to be told like what to do. And of course, I'm so judgmental of <laughs> right now saying that. And it took us four years to do an episode about it. But you know, y- yeah, you need to you need to work with somebody who can help you investigate. And if somebody just tells you like, oh no, you know, you just need to like, you know, and if they don't even ask you any questions, if they don't, if they don't, you know, try to help you figure out what's exi- what is going on, then they are not the person. Right. You know, you need to see somebody who's going to go, all right, well, let's investigate. Yeah. We need let- to figure out what's going on here. And it is like a whole investigative process. It is. Yeah. It's not just like, oh, your baby looks great. He's gaining. So, you know, that's not an answer. Right. And certainly if baby's losing weight. Right. I mean, you need to look and see what's going really on. really need to figure out what's going on. And if somebody's just like, well, you know, just supplement. Like, that's fine if you want to. But if you don't want to, that doesn't have to just be the answer. Like, no. let's figure out if we need to. Let's figure out what's going on. And you don't just go willy nilly into supplementing. That's not a plan. No, like, and then you have it in the back. Of, and then you have it in the back of your head. Like, what about the next baby? Is this yeah. always going to be my my process? Should I just not do it from the start? Yeah, right. Oh, there's so much to it. So I'm really glad that she sent that message. And if anybody has, you know, if anything, you know that that kind of happened to them that was like this, that maybe we didn't talk about. Love to hear it. Yeah. Please let us know. Cause Diane said, I think this is going to be a two part episode. And I was like, we always think that, you know, I, know. Like, I always think that too. Then I was like, well, well, you can just go a little long, but here we are going really long. And I don't know. I, th- I feel like we still have a lot to talk about. <laughs> I know. I <laughs> so know. just let us know what we missed, what your experience was. And we'll do a part two. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. we'll do that with any episode. Let us know. Yeah, for sure. Let us know. And, um, Yeah, because there's definitely there's a lot to talk about here. So I hope everybody got something out of it. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.